Welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, March the 2nd, 2020. This is episode four of the Matt Bernier Show. Going to go back and look at two big races from this past weekend. One, the inaugural Saudi Cup. One, the Fountain of Youth. One will have ramifications as far as in all likelihood, older horses are concerned here in the United States in months to come. Also, the Fountain of Youth will have ramifications on the three-year-old picture coming up as we get closer and closer to the Kentucky Derby. I'll follow that up with what some folks have asked for and have been interested in in the comment section beneath the YouTube player, which I'll talk about more momentarily. Talk about my top five three-year-olds at this point. Obviously, this thing can change dramatically from week to week with all these prep races being run, but just five horses I'm really intrigued with. Uh, Four of them on raw ability. One of them a little bit more of a flyer. So maybe that's something to just kind of stay tuned for and and maybe kind of piques your interest a little bit. And we'll wrap things up as we have with the first few episodes, a little bit of a QA. and a Go over the pick history. Pick history, just to give you a heads up, hasn't changed much because I actually only put one horse out there from this past weekend. So not a tremendous change there. I was much more locked into golf, frankly, uh, as opposed to some of the other racing going on. Boy, you want to talk about a, a roller coaster of emotions for me watching Ben on and Gary Woodland over a four-day stretch. I'm not going to go too deep into the woods for some of the, you that don't care about golf, but Ben on on Thursday, front nine, or not front nine, his first nine, he started on the back, Minus one, six, uh, seven over, excuse me, ended up his round six over, still somehow got into contention on Sunday and just flattened out down the lane. But still, good showing from those two boys nonetheless. If you couldn't tell, I, I like to get involved in golf. Golf's a really underrated sport to be betting on. Just throwing that out there. Anyway, uh, as far as details are concerned, if you are new to this show, thanks for checking it out. You can find it on YouTube over on In The Money Media Network's website. You can download the podcast right there, or you can download it in any of the other places that you typically do. Apple Podcasts, you know the drill by now. However you listen, though, please rate, review, and subscribe. If you're over on YouTube, make sure that bell icon is lit up so anytime something is uploaded on the In The Money Media page, You'll get that video. You get a notification. You can go over there, click right on it. Right now, it's just me, but I'm sure in the, in the future, there may be some things that we sort of work on in time. But for now, you've got the YouTube option. If you have questions, comments, concerns, either on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt, or beneath the video player on YouTube. So a number of ways for you to interact with this program, and I really appreciate the folks that have been involved with that, that, that I think adds a great deal of value, something I don't think I utilized very well in the first iteration of this show um, back when I was with the form. So I think this is something I'd like to keep going, the, the sort of back and forth. Uh, it's probably just going to be one a week, one sort of question or response, whatever the case may be. Um, but definitely, the more interaction there is, who knows, maybe it turns into two, three, you never know. But uh, I like the way that things have started off as far as that is concerned. And again, you can find the podcast version, audio only, and all of the standard kind of places that you typically do the in the money webpage uh, as well as apple podcasts and and the whole nine there so uh, without further ado let's get things going and we'll start by taking a look back at some of the races from this past weekend the inaugural saudi cup was run on saturday afternoon here in the united states it featured a a pretty big time performance from the winter maximum security and I saw some folks after the race suggest that, you know, some people love the horse, some people really dislike the horse, whatever the case may be. Whatever your feelings on the horse are, I think it's a pretty safe bet or a fair statement to say that maximum security is probably the most polarizing horse we've seen run in the United States and arguably the world in a number of years. Uh, polarizing in that, you know, if you want to compare him to Justify, and that Justify won the Triple Crown, and then he was gone, and he's up. it's up for debate, what did he beat, how does it stack up, he never really ran that fast, whatever the case may be, whatever your arguments are for or against a horse like Justify, go back to American Pharaoh, there's really nothing to argue about American Pharaoh's greatness, but he was polarizing because he was just something that we hadn't seen in many, many years, This horse, Maximum Security, just feels like he just, he reminds me a little bit of of Tim Tebow, where some people loved him and some people hated him, and you could, you know, his his sort of merits were up for debate. 
I think a race like this for maximum security kind of squashes any question about his ability, though. Um, not that many people really were questioning how talented the horse was. I mean, he, he's done really nothing wrong in the racetrack. I always complained that he was a little green early on in his career with lead changes and things like that. But his most recent runs have been really, really next level, top notch. Um, when you factor in the fractions of this race, and he's never the sexiest thing out on the racetrack. I mean, Luis Saez was all over him early on to try to keep him up to what was seemingly a wicked pace. Rounding the far turn, he's out in the clear, yes, but Saez is just pumping away, and he's trying to maintain sort of connection to the field, or I shouldn't say the field, but to the leader, Mucho Gusto. But when the running really gets tough, he keeps fighting, and he keeps finding. So, Look, again, wherever you fall on the sort of maximum security debate about what he is, do you like him, do you not like him, whatever the case may be, I think you can't argue that the horse is supremely talented. And uh, just a really impressive effort here from this horse. And uh, he is not going to run in the Dubai World Cup. Marcus Hirsch, basically all these updates come from Marcus Hirsch from the Daily Racing Form. Uh, Apparently he's headed home on Friday. Uh, this coming Friday, he's going to come back to the United States, and who knows what his next move from there is going to be. I'm sure he's going to get some time off. Uh, typically, the Jason Service Barn, they don't run him back all that quick anyway, so uh, I would imagine we're not going to see him for a little while. Uh, who knows what a, sort of a next race for a horse like this could be. I mean, it, to me, it, you know, today being March 2nd, um, you know, a race like the Met Mile is a little bit interesting if you're looking for a spot like that where it is a one-turn mile coming off of a lengthy layoff. But, I mean, frankly, he did a, a one-turn mile and an eighth off of a layoff and halfway around the world. So to say that he wouldn't be able to handle that, I don't I don't think that would be an issue. He's already proved himself at Belmont Park. Um, I would think that would be an interesting spot if you don't want to go in a race like that or you want to sort of plot differently. If you want a two-turn type of race, maybe the Stephen Foster at Churchill Downs is a spot that you want to point toward, or or maybe you just wait until Saratoga with a horse like this. Who knows? Uh, I'll be very curious to see what the plans are for maximum security. Midnight Bisu. I was screaming like a maniac watching her Look, first things first, a brilliant ride from Mike Smith. I feel like Mike Smith gets a lot of flack, um, you know, despite the fact that he he rides all the biggest and best horses. um, But I feel like he does catch some flack for some of his rides. This one I thought was brilliant. He clearly judged the pace very, very well. He saved uh, damn close to every inch of ground that you possibly could in a spot like this. And she ran her heart out. And uh, as I said in last week's show... The idea for me with Midnight Bisu and part of the reason that she and Chrysler Barrel were the ones that I was most interested in for a race like this. Chrysler Barrel, because he had never really done anything wrong. Midnight, though, the big thing for me was the one turn. I've I just firmly believe that her best races are at one turn, and that's a that's a gift. That's a special piece. I think another horse in recent memory that I would have loved to have seen what he could have done had they kept him at one turn. And I know it's so hard to sit here and say this with a straight face because most of the big money is going two turns and going longer. But Frosted, I don't think that Met Mile was sort of an aberration. I think that was what he was if they had allowed him to run at seven-eighths of a mile, a one-turn mile, one-turn, or, you know, if you want to say a race like the Jockey Club Gold Cup, sort of a one-and-a-half-turn mile and a quarter. Some horses are better suited and can handle that better than others can. And I think Midnight Bisu is case in point. I think she just, for whatever reason, loves the one-turn configuration. And like I said last week, it's not that I'm questioning her ability going two turns or going longer. The distance isn't the issue. It's There is no issue. Let me make that abundantly clear. She can run and win anywhere. But I just think she is so far superior at these one-turn configuration races. And that's special. That's not something that that every horse can do. And for her to be as versatile as she is, but boy, I, I just thought this was a fantastic race from her, a fantastic ride from Mike Smith. Um, she won't run in Dubai. They'll come back here. I believe Jeff Bloom was quoted from Marcus Hirsch's piece, uh, one of his updates, saying um, they're going to work backwards with the Breeders' Cup as sort of the target. Uh, keep in mind, the Breeders' Cup this year is at Keeneland. I look at Midnight Bisu and I say the first race I would run want to run in. I know they're run on the same day. Last year, she won the Ogden Phipps by 100 lengths. I would love to see them try the Met Mile with her. I know she doesn't have any real... There's, there's such little that 
she can do to enhance her value from a broodmare standpoint, I would imagine. I, I mean, barring a win in a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic, I don't know. And again, coming from someone that doesn't know the ins and outs of the breeding industry and what people value more so than others. I look at that Met Mile. Everybody calls it the stallion making race. I just think it's a perfect race for a horse like this. I think eight furlongs. She's versatile enough to be closer to a, a more tepid pace than what we saw over there in Saudi Arabia on Saturday. The the mile is not a problem. The one turn's not a problem. She loves Belmont Park. That to me, and again, I recognize that Ogden Phipps is on the same day and the money I don't think is tremendously different. So if you think you're going to face a field of five in that race, you're going to be one to five or you might face a field of 12 in the Met Mile and you're going to be one of the favorites. I can understand the idea of let's get the easy money and let's move on. I would just love to see it from a sporting standpoint that because I, I think she could win. I think she could very easily win a race like the Met Mile, regardless of who shows up. Her best, she's proven, her best is damn close to anybody else's best. And at the one turn, I just think she's a, I think she's a one-turn specialist. She can do the other races. She can do a two-turn mile in 16th, two-turn mile in 8th. I just think she's a, an exceptional one-turn horse, period, male or female. Mucho gusto. Uh, I thought he just felt the effects of that early pace. Uh, and yeah, he got drifty down the lane and Jason Service made some comments about Irad Ortiz. Um, I Look, Irad probably could have done more as far as the whip was concerned when he was hitting him left-handed. That's when he started to float out. No coincidence that maximum security was trying to go on the outside of him. Then he started going right-handed. He started drifting in. Um, if, you be, if you believe those fractions, there's no reason not to. And then you factor in the idea of the no run-up situation. Like they were going guns blazing out there and for mucho gusto to still be around at the end of it i thought this was a big effort i'm really interested that they're going on to dubai with him because i've never felt that a mile and a quarter is really his best distance i feel like he is more of a miler mile and a 16th mile and an eighth type but if you think that this race didn't take too much out of him it is a quick turnaround i mean the dubai world cup's only in a few weeks now mile and a quarter I guess if you want to look at it and say at May Dan, you get him out on the front end and you just say, come and catch me. You know, I, I suppose anything is possible. And again, Bob Baffert knows better than anyone about shipping over there and taking care of business. Uh, mucho gusto. I'll be curious to see what we get from him in the Dubai World Cup. Again, I always feel like he's better going a little bit shorter. Uh, a horse that I don't feel that way about, but I was thoroughly impressed with against arguably our best dirt horses. I don't want to say arguably. They're our best dirt horses. Maximum Security, Midnight Bisu, McKinsey, who I'll get to in a moment. Mucho Gusto, Tacitus, all, the whole lot. Ben Battle ran his eyeballs out. For a horse that his entire career, he has been a grass horse. And with the exception of the most recent run, the prep leading into the Saudi Cup, I thought he ran phenomenal. And for a horse also, going a one-turn configuration that I feel like he just wants more and more ground... I think the home team's going to have a big, big chance with this horse in the World Cup here in a few weeks. I assume they're going to run him in a spot like that. Mile and a quarter and two turns, I think, is going to be a lot kinder to a horse like this. The fact that he didn't get totally run off his feet, I thought was really encouraging. Ben Battle, say what you will. This, to me, he may have been the surprise of the group for him to run as well as he did against our best dirt horses. I, I was really taken by this performance. I believe he got his nose down for third. You know, if he goes and wins the Dubai World Cup, all of a sudden you start wondering, at the end of the year, does a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic become of interest to the connections? You know, and in between, you know, he doesn't have to come over here to the States. Maybe you run him in a number of those Group 1 turf races that he's been shown to be very, very proficient at handling. I just think he's a really neat horse, and I think the connections have done well by him, and I'd love to see them run in the Dubai World Cup, hopefully run well there, and then who knows? Maybe there is a scenario where at the end of the year we can see him here in the United States running on dirt in our biggest race, the Breeders' Cup Classic. Um, Tacitus, he ran well. I don't really have much more to add. I, I, I never really thought he looked like a threat. He was making up a little bit of ground down the lane. Um, he carried his head a little bit awkwardly, and and. You know, you heard Frankie DeTore and some of the other riders speaking of the dirt at uh, 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 Abdulaziz, the the track over in Saudi Arabia, that the kickback was not not what we're accustomed to in the United States. It wasn't so harsh, 
but I saw Tacitus in behind runners and it seemed like he had his head cocked down to the inside. And I don't know if it was the kickback or just him being a little bit goofy, a little awkward, whatever the case may be. But he did run on well again at the end when he leveled off. I don't know that I saw a giant improvement from him in this race, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. This was his first start in a few months, and they are going to go on to the Dubai World Cup with him. So a mile and a quarter seemingly would be to his benefit. Uh, we'll see what we get here in a few more weeks. And the last horse I'm going to touch on, I'm not going to really dive into any of the other international horses because uh, there was nothing giant really to speak of. Uh, McKinsey, though, we have to speak speak about his his effort in a spot like this because he never looked like he was traveling comfortably uh, the far turn looked like he was in deep water he was essentially eased as they turned for home uh, you know it doesn't take a rocket scientist to tell you this was a disastrous performance for this horse i uh, first things first a decision for the dubai races is still pending um i just i also I, there can be there can be somewhere in the middle and it's the thing i love and hate about twitter and social media at the same time, it feels like rational thoughts there are few and far between. I had so many people throwing out things that, well, I mean, look, McKenzie's not that good. McKenzie's not that good. I, I mean, he's pretty darn good. You, you don't go and win a race like the Whitney like he does. You don't run second in the Breeders' Cup Classic. You don't, as a three-year-old, did, didn't he win the Malibu? I mean, this is, I, I have technology here. I can look this up. I guess all I'm saying is, this is this is not a, a bum of a horse. Sometimes it happens where, for one reason or another, they don't deliver the performance that you would hope that they would, and McKinsey did win the Malibu as a three-year-old. So we're talking about a grade one winner between seven furlongs and nine furlongs at Saratoga and Santa Anita. L let's not all of a sudden sort of revisionist history sit there and say the horse is no good. The horse is very, very talented. Is he one of the top 15 or 20 of the past 10 years? No, probably not. But he's not far off. He's won some big races. So look, I'm sure they're going to go through, make sure everything is okay with him. He didn't run well for whatever reason here. But he nearly won the Met Mile last year. He won the Whitney. I think we are so quick to just turn the page and say, oh, the horse can't run. Well, I don't know if that's the case, especially when he has a track record. I know that the horse on his best day can run giant races. For whatever reason, he didn't fire over in Saudi Arabia. I'm not going to hold that against him. And he certainly doesn't mean all of a sudden he's a bum. He's a nice horse. Hopefully he's okay. And hopefully we'll see him here again in the United States sooner rather than later. Oddly enough, the uh, the main event here as far as racing was concerned in the United States on Saturday was the Fountain of Youth. I don't have a heck of a lot to to add to it, I, I thought it was a pretty straightforward performance. I thought Ete Indian ran phenomenal. I thought it was an unbelievable ride by Florent Giroux, and this just sort of continues a trend we've seen from Flo. Be aggressive, and that's all people want. If you go out and lose the way that your best running style is, now look, I'm not suggesting riders should all get out there and just get, hook up in duels going 44, going a mile and a 16th. But in a race like this, where the outside draw is far from ideal, Use your speed. Nobody else to the inside wants to go. He clears off. And I understand the fractions didn't pop up during the replay or during the live pieces, but the, the fractions that have been posted that I've seen around, they're pretty legitimate. 23, 46, and 3, 11, and 1, stop the clock, and 43 flat. I just thought this was a big effort all around from this horse, and this is a race that is not totally out of left field. I mean, this is this is very similar to the race that we saw at the beginning of February from this horse in the Holy Bull. The difference is there was no tis the law in this race. So as far as the numbers, the nuts and bolts are concerned, a 97 buyer speed figure, uh, excuse me, a buyer speed figure from Ete Indian in a 118 raw time form U.S. rating. Again, for those of you that are unfamiliar, about a 20 point differential when both figure makers kind of line up. Uh, there are those occasions, though, where one is considerably higher than the other or one is considerably lower than the other. And then at that point, you need to go through and just kind of, you know, do with it what you will. You as the handicapper need to determine what you think of that. When they match up relatively close, you pretty much know that this is a pretty lock stock sort of number. I, I thought this was just a big effort all around. I have no knocks about this. I think this is a nice horse. The real thing is, to me, now it goes and flatters the form of that run in the Holy Bull and flatters the form of Tis, Tis the Law, who blew the doors off Ete Indian. Now, 
tis the law much has been made look he, he's got a little bit of a spotty work tab i believe barkley tag said there was some shoe issue that uh precluded him from uh working uh when he was scheduled to a few weeks back i believe i had read this morning that he had a, a nice easy half mile uh this morning getting ready for the florida derby so i mean there are not it's not as though there aren't obstacles for Tis the Law to overcome. Anytime you miss some training, that's a little bit of a red flag, especially when you have such a sort of set time frame that you need to be at your absolute best and ready to peak. But this effort certainly flatters the form and the effort of Tis the Law. At Day Indian, I think, look, you got to look at him and say he's a legitimate horse at this point. I also like that he's run pretty fast and... I know people really like to get into the, what do you think of the crop? Is the crop any good? Is the crop bad? What, you know, whatever, you know, again, certain people have different opinions of things. Uh, from what I've seen so far, from just a numbers standpoint, I think it's a pretty good group of three-year-olds um, in stark contrast to what we saw last year, where it felt like that group was just kind of, eh, you know, kind of feeling themselves out, figuring things out. And look, good horses did emerge from that group. Maximum security is the head of the class, but Ete Indian, he is just one of a few in this spot at this age in this group that I feel like to date they've already run pretty fast. We've got horses up over 100 buyer already. We've got horses sniffing 100 buyer, and we have just turned the calendar into March. So uh, I, I think this is a promising horse and a promising runner going forward for a relatively promising group of horses. Um, as far as the rest of the field is concerned, let's first start off with the big disappointment, the big flop, Dennis's moment, uh, beaten as the 6-5 to five favorite and not just beaten, he finished last. Never looked like he was running at any point. Um, you know, he, you have the built-in excuse that this is his first start since the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, which, given his disastrous start, do you really want to hold that race against him as well and do you think he really got anything out of that when it seemed like when i believe erad rode him in the breeders cup when you could tell that he wasn't really going to go on he didn't beat him up too badly in this race here he never looked like he was going to threaten at any point so now the the question is do you look at this and say this is really his first race since the beginning of november and you give him credit for that race at santa anita or do you think a little bit outside the box and say well he didn't really get anything out of that breeders cup juvenile is this really like his first race since what? September? October? If that's the case, you can at least give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt for this spot. Having said that, you wanted to see something and you saw nothing. Um, if I were on the Dennis's Moment bandwagon, I mean, I'd be very, very concerned right now. I'm not ready to totally write the horse off and say that he can't run. But boy, you know, you've got to at least be a little bit concerned that we're running out of time if you're thinking Kentucky Derby if you want to say look he, he at least got a race into him now and you can proceed whether it ends up being the Florida Derby the Wood Memorial the Bluegrass you know any of the final preps you'll at least get one more shot and if he doesn't run well there then obviously you need to sort of work your way backwards and, and think okay either something's not right here or he just hasn't really moved forward from those two you know eye-catching victories in his first two lifetime starts the only other horse that I'm going to speak of directly from this race is Country Grammar. The rest of the field, if you have any questions or you want to know my thoughts on horses, leave them beneath the video player on YouTube or ask me on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. And guess what? That goes for the rest of the stakes races and any actually any of the races at Gulfstream on Saturday. If you have any questions directly about any of the other graded stakes, let me know beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. I'll either reply directly or maybe I'll just tie that into next week's show. So um, we'll go about it that way because I know there were other big races and big performances that happened. But as far as today's show is concerned, the only other horse in this race that I'm going to speak of is Country Grammar. Now, Country Grammar is a third-time starter coming in, coming out of that race. He made his third lifetime start in the Fountain of Youth. Goes out for Chad Brown. Javier had the mount. He was essentially out of the picture for the majority of the run. Now, if we go back to the start of the race, uh, he breaks reasonably well, but then he gets pinched, ends up getting shuffled back to last. Not great. Routing the first turn, he's about 3-4 path, essentially last. Down the backside, you don't see him other than a little chicklet on the bottom. Rounding the far turn, you don't see him. And when you do see him, uh, he's just sort of spinning his wheels. Then when they turn for home, he actually shows a little bit of interest down the lane and finishes in a bit of a blanket there for the second placing. But he ends up fifth. He gets the worst of it all. The, the part that is at least interesting to me 
when I see a horse like this, this was his first start since November 11th of last year. So he's been gone for a few months. More likely than not needed a race. When you look at the final come home times for all the runners, uh, your winner, Ete Indian, came home in 31.72, far and away the fastest in the race. The second fastest, though, and by a pretty healthy margin, is Country Grammar in 32.04. Country Grammar then galloped out very, very well. And when you look and see at him run, when you look at and see at him run, that's terrible English. When you look and see him run, the way that he moves, I look at him and think that he's a mile and a quarter kind of horse. The, the problem may be, I don't know that he's going to be ready for a race like the Kentucky Derby, regardless of the fact that he's going to get at least one more start. So I'll occasionally do this and I'll look like a, like a big old dummy. It's worked sometimes, it hasn't worked other times. Um, I look at country grammar and I think this could very, very easily be a Travers type. I think he's going to need some more seasoning, some more experience. He's going to need to get faster, which, look, he's run three times. He earned an 83 buyer here on Saturday afternoon. But to me, he's that kind of horse that you get some more seasoning into him. You get him going a little bit. Uh, you know, obviously he had the issue at the start, so that wasn't ideal. But to me, he's, he's that sort of, he looks anyway, like a horse that's going to want to run all day. He might need some experience under his belt. So if they choose to go with one of these final round preps, great. If it works, you want to run him in the Kentucky Derby, good on you. Do what you got to do. If that doesn't work, I would like to, I would hope they would sort of re-reset things and say, okay, we're not going to stop on the horse because he clearly needs to run and we want to keep going with him. But if the Travers ends up being a goal, maybe instead of trying to run in a race like the Preakness or the Belmont Stakes, you look maybe on the undercard of the Belmont Stakes at a race like the Easy Goer. You hope that springboards you to a race like the Jim Dandy and then into the Travers. I, just, I guess long-winded way of saying, I think Country Grammar could be a good horse. I just think he's going to need some time. And I think down the road, we'll probably see his best for Chad Brown and company. So that's the only other horse directly from this race I'm going to touch on. But again, any other horse in this race or any of the other races at Gulfstream on Saturday that you have uh, sort of questions about or you're curious about, want to know some opinions and thoughts uh, beneath the video player on YouTube or over to me on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. I know some people really enjoy these segments and I know some people think it's just the silliest exercise, but it's that time of year. And people genuinely are curious. Maybe they haven't heard of, of a certain name or they haven't seen the race and they want to go back and watch. It is that time of year. It is a tradition unlike any other. It is the Derby top whatever contenders list. And again, some people think it's just a, a silly, silly exercise. I think it's good in that, again, if, if you... Perhaps there's a horse on some someone else's top 10 list that maybe you, you've never heard of or you missed the race or whatever the case may be. You at least see that, then you can go do a little bit of homework on your own and say, oh, wait a minute, there's something here. Or you look at it and say, I want no part of that horse. I'm not going to do a top 10. I'm going to start by doing a top five right now. Um, and I'll, I'll keep doing this periodically. Maybe it is an every week sort of segment. And again, it, a lot of it depends on the feedback that I get from the listeners and the viewers. If you all like this, I'll continue to do it. If you all think this is a waste of time, maybe I'll do it once a month. Who knows? But for now, it'll be a top five. And maybe as we get closer and closer to the Derby and things become a little bit clearer, knowing that right now, just the, the, the leaderboard can change so dramatically from week to week. I'm only going to go with the top five. And as I said at the top, this top five, four of them, pretty formful. They're not going to be that much of a surprise. One of them, I, I think, may be a little bit surprising to people. He's a little bit of an interesting price. Uh, no surprise that four of the five come from guys named Baffert and Pletcher. Uh, let's start off, and I'll do it in reverse chronological order. So number five for me is the the sort of intriguing price. And I think the horse is intriguing. Doesn't mean that you will let me know beneath the video player or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. One of Todd Pletcher's runners, Farmington Road. I spoke about Farmington Road when I went back and looked at one of the Risen Star races where he was, he, I think he probably ran 10 furlongs in a nine furlong race. And the fact that he finished with the second fastest final eighth in that race to me is promising. I think the horse is continuing to improve and, and kind of put things together because I don't think mentally he's totally there yet. He's done some goofy things in the mornings. You can see workouts over on places like XBTV. Um, he still does things a little bit quirky and maybe he's not 
the you know the it horse in the barn as far as the three-year-olds are concerned but i think farmington road is a horse that'll run all day if he takes another step forward in whichever race he runs in next whether it's louisiana derby or they want to try to run him somewhere else i think farmington road is a little bit of an interesting sort of outsider if you will outside of the more obvious horses so he for me is number five for what it's worth uh, he worked on saturday morning uh along with uh, Governor Morris, they they worked a half mile and 49 and two down at Palm Beach. So Farmington Road's number five for me as far as the Derby Top Five is concerned for this week, March, uh, let's say the week of March the 2nd. Uh, number four for me is one of Baffert's horses. That's Nadal. Now, Nadal took the world by storm when he broke his maiden back in January by 100 lengths. Uh, got a big buyer of a 98. Everybody said, woof, you know, he, he, is, he is the bee's knees. Comes back and wins in his first time against winners in the San Vicente. It's a great stakes race. Goes a little bit longer from six and a half to seven furlongs, but it felt like it was a little bit more workmanlike. Now, I will say, I think Ginobili, the horse that he ran against and only beat by three quarters of a length, I think Ginobili is going to be a really nice sprinter down the road. Uh, Nadal lost all of the luster when one of his other barn mates showed up and blew the doors off of a maiden field. We'll talk about him in a minute. So... I think maybe he's, I don't want to say he has become sort of an afterthought. I think everyone just looks at Charlatan and says, oh my goodness, you know, what is this thing? Nadal's a pretty darn good horse, though, from what we've seen through two lifetime starts. As I said, when I spoke about the San Vicente, though, I'm going to be very, very curious to see how both Nadal and Ginobili come out of that race because they both ran really, really hard. I don't know what the plans are for Ginobili. I hope they keep him going shorter. Nadal, though, with this pedigree by blame out of a pulpit mare, I want to at least see one try of him going longer. And who knows, maybe that'll happen sooner than later. But Nadal, for me, number four on this round's top five. Number three is Charlatan, who I just kind of tipped off. That's the other Baffert that I have on the list. I love the pedigree here. Spites Towns, they can do anything. They can sprint, they can go long, turf, dirt, doesn't matter. But you look at the damn authenticity. She was a graded stakes winning dirt router. There is pedigree. There's reason to believe that this is going to be a nice horse. They paid a ton of cash for him, 700 grand. And all he did was go out there in his career debut and earn a 105 buyer speed figure faster than the career debut of Justify, who, again, we know what he ultimately ended up doing. I think this is a really talented horse. I'm going to be fascinated to see what kind of path they go on with this runner. Are they going to follow the Justify path and give him that one chance or two chances? Justify only got one chance, I believe. But are you going to go and wait for a race like the Santa Anita Derby or... Based on the workouts, he's been on the tab. He's got uh, two works since that maiden score. Two works back on February the 25th, 47-4, and four, a bullet going a half mile. And then I have it listed as him working seven-eighths of a mile this morning on March the 2nd in 26-3. and three. So we'll find out where his next step is. But Charlotte, and I mean, you can't deny the talent. Horses, the horses don't freak out like that and not have some inkling of ability i'll be interested to see what path they choose to go on with charlatan he's number three for me number two is tis the law now tis the law already spoke about him earlier because he was flattered his form anyway in the holy bull keep in mind the holy bull was his first start since the end of november so he had the right to perhaps need a little bit of a shake the rust off type all he did was go out and beat Ete Indian by three lengths. Ete Indian comes back, wins the Fountain of Youth on Saturday with a 97 buyer. So the form of that race is legitimate. It's flattered. I loved everything I saw in that race from him. The agility, the ability to get out there, listen to commands, not be some sort of a headstrong kind of nut job out there. What Manny asked him to do, he did. I think that says a lot for a horse this early in the season. Um, the concern now is, sure, he, he missed that little bit of time. You're, you'll note if you can take a look at his his workouts uh, at the bottom of whatever past performances you look at. Uh, he ran on February the 1st. He came back. He worked on February the 10th. And then he was nowhere until this morning where he worked a half mile in 50 seconds at Palmetto's. If you want to look at that and say that that's going to be the thing that undoes this horse, you know, that's your prerogative. I'm not. It's early enough where I'm not ready to do that. He still has some time. He should probably have, what, three more works if they're going to run him in the Florida Derby. There's still time. And from what I've seen on the racetrack, I can make the argument that he is as likely a winner as anyone of these three-year-olds uh, when it comes to the Kentucky Derby because of the things that he has shown through four lifetime starts. I think he's a very, very talented racehorse. I think Barkley Tag has a live one in Tis the Law. He's number two. 
frankly, on my list, he's probably the most likely Kentucky Derby winner, I would say, of the five at this point. But there is one horse that I'm just really, really, I'm falling for. And he happens to be the workmate of Farmington Road. And that is the other Pletcher horse. And I spoke about him, I believe it was episode one or two, Governor Morris. I really am high on this horse, funnily enough, or oddly enough, that the top two on my list at this point are both by Constitution, a horse that as a racehorse, I didn't like in the slightest, but he has been an unbelievable sire to kick things off early on in his career. Uh, Governor Morris, I just really thought that N1X race down at Tampa was perfect. He needed to move. He didn't look all that visually impressive out there, but in all reality, he hadn't run since the beginning of October. He needed the race. He was far from 100%. He earned a competitive speed figure. He beat some decent horses. And if all goes as planned, that was a nice sort of shake the rust off and we're going to move forward, whatever the next race is, wherever that may be. You know Todd Pletcher can get a horse ready to go for the first Saturday in May. He's an expert with the three-year-olds. I just feel like this is a beautiful... A beautiful starting off point. We didn't see the flashy performance. We didn't see the the race that's going to get people to go. Oh my God, he's he's this. He's the the second. It, it, we didn't get a charlatan effort. When charlatan goes out there and blitzes a field, everybody sees that and everybody goes, "Holy smokes, what was that thing?" At face value, when you just watch the tape of the return effort for Governor Morris, you look at it and you go, you know, okay, it was fine. You know, he didn't destroy a field. He had to work hard for it. But those are the things that I like, knowing that that was nothing more than a tune-up, getting him ready for what's still to come. They're building a sort of foundation to get him ready to go. Governor Morris lands at number one as far as my top five at this point is concerned. Let me know your thoughts on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt or beneath the video player on the YouTube channel. Let's wrap up episode four with a little Q&A and pick history. Uh, for pick history, as I alluded to at the top, uh, only one pick that I threw in there. It was, it was a beekeeper or bee catcher. It was a motion horse that broke the maiden most recently, ran one of the early card stake races on Saturday. Uh, it blinkers on for that most recent run, got him a lot closer to the front. Uh, this time around, completely misses the break. There's no speed in the race, and he just basically didn't pick his feet up. So that was another L. Um it is what it is. We move on here to the Q&A, and I promise there will be more. I'm going out to TVG this week. There are going to be picks that we can populate for next week's episode. So there'll be more as far as a sample is concerned with the uh, with the pick history. There will be more to come. Trust me. Just bear with me on that one. Uh, as far as the Q&A is concerned for this week, uh, we're going to go back. This is a comment from someone from episode three on the YouTube channel, uh, Nancy Moran. I'm going to going to kind of spark note this thing and break off the top piece of it. Um, but the, the question is, uh, I'm wondering if you'd be willing to do a small segment sometime that would be something like your five or seven, eight, ten essential rules of handicapping, something that breaks down step by step how you typically analyze a race or a broader perspective on what you think the essential questions are when looking at any given horse. I don't know if there are a lot of other newer players among your listeners that would benefit, but I think it would be interesting to get a breakdown on your capping process. Thanks and good luck, Nancy. Thank you for the question. Thank you for watching and listening. Um, as far as that goes, I'll, I'll give you a couple of sort of ways to, to go about things because I know some people really don't enjoy doing certain areas of the work and, and whatever the case may be. So um, if you are someone that just likes to go over the paper, whether it's the racing form or Equibase or Thoroughgraph or whatever the case may be. First things first for me, and it's always pace. You got to find out where the horses are going to be situated. If you're looking for a bit of a, a shortcut and a reliable shortcut, I would suggest something like Timeform US with their pace projector. I think it's, for the most part, very, very accurate. I don't want to sit here and say at the end all be all. You need to do a little bit of handicapping on your own, but I think it's a very good tool to use to sort of get a, if, if you don't have the time or you don't feel comfortable going through and assessing where certain horses project to be throughout the run of the race, the pace projector for Timeform US does a pretty good job of giving you a bit of a grasp of what to expect possibly going forward as far as the pace goes. So pace is number one. Number two for me, if we're just going off of the paper, is looking at the race from a numbers standpoint and recognizing if we have a group of graded stakes horses and they've run a number of times, 
and we kind of know what they are at this point in their career. Let's say they're a bunch of four-year-olds. Let's say it's the Whitney, and you typically get a good field put together. More likely than not, they're going to run to something close to what they have been in recent memory. It seems rather unlikely you're going to get a race out of nowhere from a horse that's a 40-to-1 shot, unless there is reason to believe that, whether it's trips or things like that. And I'll get into that sort of as the part two of this. But for this, if you don't have a horse that can run fast enough and you have no reason to believe they're going to run faster today, it makes it a little bit difficult to make a case for a horse like that. Now, obviously, the rules are a little different with inexperienced horses or horses that have only, you know, they're coming off of layoffs or or whatever the case may be. Typically, inexperienced horses or young horses they can take those giant steps forward from start one to start two, two to three, off the layoff and equipment change, whatever the case may be. So the the smaller the sample, obviously the more difficult it is, unless you think there's a horse on paper who may be their career debut. Let's say Charlatan against a group of horses that have never run anything better than a 75. I mean, look, he's going to need to regress pretty significantly and somebody else is going to need to run out of their skin to make up that difference. If it were, I'm, Again, I'm just hypothetically saying a 30-point differential. Those are the biggest pieces if you're someone that just wants to look at the page. You go to the racetrack, you buy the racing form, and you're just going through doing it that way. Those, to me, are the biggest pieces. Personally, I think jockey is overrated for the most part. I think people put way too much stock into it. I think for the most part, these men and women that do this, as far as riding is concerned, I think for the most part, they know what they're doing. Um, And I think it's especially sort of a mitigated piece when you're dealing with a colony like New York or Florida this time of year, or Southern California, where you kind of have the best of the best. Now, there are certain riders that do certain things better than others, uh, and you'll only figure that out in time. But I think for the most part, the rider component is is the most overused or over, I don't want to say overused. It's, it's the most, it's given more time than it should be, in my opinion. Um, trainer, I think, is very important especially when you do this long enough, you start to know what certain trainers are good at and what they're not, not just by looking at the raw numbers at the bottom of whatever PPs you're you're looking at. Some trainers can get a little bit sneaky as far as placement for horses and reasoning for them to go in there. And I guess that brings me to the bigger piece for any kind of handicapping, whether you're someone that uses tape, which I'll talk about in a second, or you use charts and all that kind of stuff, or you just do the, the cold dope. Why is this horse here today? That should always be a question asked when you're going through a race. If it's a race of a field of, you know, five maidens and making it up, well, the reason they're all here is because they've never won a race before and they need to get through it. If you're looking at a, let's say, a grade three with these three-year-olds this time of year, why is this horse running here when in theory they're fast enough to be getting ready for a race like I, I'm making it up, the the Kentucky Derby. You know, if there was a horse that had Derby points, but they showed up in the Lexington uh, the week before, that that should at least raise some sort of a flag with you saying, you could have run in the biggest race there is for three-year-olds, and instead you're here. Why? should always ask why. Why are certain horses running in certain spots? I think you'll glean a lot from that sort of exercise if you've never done it. Now, the other pieces... I do. I try to put as much together as possible. I'm a big replay fan. Now, the problem is it's rather time consuming, especially if you're watching more than one or two replays. If you go through and you're really doing the deep dive, watching replays is a rather time consuming exercise. I think it is infinitely valuable, though, because for a number of reasons, you get to see what a horse typically looks like, whether it's, you know, how they typically move or, you know, do they typically wash out leading into a race? Or is this sort of a, an anomaly where all of a sudden this afternoon they're a sweaty mess? That's not a good sign. Um, for me, the lead changes when you watch the tape and you get a sort of, let's say, you get a baseline. Let's say this horse is the consummate professional, changes leads on cue, all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, you watch the most recent replay and they do something that they've never done before. Either they pop to their left lead or they don't change leads or whatever it may be. That to me is a red flag. And that's something that could perhaps help me this time around for this race today, where the folks that didn't watch the tape, they're not going to know that 
because they're just going to see what the numbers look like. So that I feel like that gives me a little bit of an edge, perhaps over whatever portion of the population didn't do that extra work. You also have to factor in looking at charts and things of that nature. So I had some folks, uh, both for the um, excuse me for the uh, Risen Star, as well as this past weekend at Gulfstream, talking about biases. I go through, look at the charts, look at the replays. I see no bias uh, at either racetrack. Uh, I've obviously went over it a few episodes ago with the Risen Star Day, but as far as Gulfstream was concerned on Saturday, horses were making up ground from all over the place on the main track, and it's it becomes a crutch. People look at it and say, I think it, I think it becomes an excuse. If you don't like the winner or you pick the wrong horse and they don't run well, I think people just immediately, because they don't like to be wrong, look at it and say, oh, it must have been the racetrack. Well, or or you just happen to have a bad pick. And it happens to all of us, guess what? Much more often than not. I mean, we all pick a lot of losers. That That's the nature of this game. So when I hear people say, oh, well, it's a conveyor belt at Gulfstream, I'm like, no, not really. If you go back and you look at all the races, the horses that won that were out there on the front or forwardly placed, they all made sense. That's their running style. They go, and again, as I've said in the past, speed on dirt, that's what you want. You don't want to have to come from 50 out of it. Having said that, some of the races throughout the card, uh, I believe the Hutchison, that was one from a horse coming from dead last. Um, yes, Mr. Freeze was able to go out there and do his thing, but I believe the third place finisher, he came back and made up a pretty good amount of ground. The two fillies in the uh, the Devona Dale, they went one, two for the most part, but they were the two favorites in the race. So that doesn't mean all of a sudden that it's a conveyor belt. And if you go through and you just listen to narratives and social media and things like that, you could go back and look at the chart work right now and think that I'm wrong. But that's the difference between us, where from a handicapping standpoint, you can hopefully use that to your advantage and say, Bernier doesn't know what he's talking about. There was a significant bias that day. Or I can look at it and say, I have an advantage on this person, whoever's handicapping it, thinking that there was a bias when I don't believe there was. So these are all things where, again, chart work is, is not the most time consuming. You can be able to go through and, and crank through a, a, a set of charts relatively quick and start to draw some conclusions. I think charts are a nice supplement to the replays because then you can also see not only is it a sort of, you know, if we're trying to figure out if it's a speed friendly track or whatever the case may be, you go back and you watch the tape, you can see, are they down on the rail? Are they toward the outside of the track? Is there some sort of an, an, a path balance, uh, you know, where you want to be on one part of the racetrack as opposed to the other? You can get a little bit of that from chart work, but it, it just it becomes much clearer when you look at it from a tape standpoint. So there are all these different things. Um, Again, it, it's an imperfect science. You can do a crazy amount of work. And, and look, I've, I've had to change my philosophies for a number of different things throughout the years, depending on what, the, what my job sort of necessitates. You know, it's one thing if, I, if I'm only looking at stakes races for the upcoming weekend, I can do the full-blown dive and go through charts and watch three or four replays of their most recent races for each horse in the race. But when I've got to look at 22 races tomorrow and then 24 more the next day and 23 more the next day, I can't possibly go through and look at all those replays. You got to start to find a sort of, you're going to have to use some of those sort of staples and then from there, when you find a horse that you think is a little interesting, then you go back, do some more of the work, you know, whether it is charts, whether it is replays, any of that kind of stuff. So there's so much that goes into it. Pace makes the race. If, if you can't determine the pace or have some sort of an idea how it's going to go, boy, you are really swimming upstream at that point. That, it's going to make it very, very difficult to, to handicap anything. Uh, but from there, sort of the old standbys, class. Now, class is a little bit subjective. I think anybody that looks at it and says, it says G1 next to this horse's name, and they're running in a G2, this must be class relief. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's how it works, because if the field that ran in that grade one was not truly grade one caliber, but they were more, let's say, grade three caliber, there's a scenario, and I know that's not a likely situation, but there's a scenario where this grade two may actually be more difficult than the grade one that you're exiting. So... 
The only way that you're going to know that is going back into a tool like Formulator or Stats Lens or any of these other pieces where you can go in and say, well, what did the horses coming out of this race go and do next? You know, was this a maiden race that came back incredibly live with a bunch of next out winners? And you know what? This horse may have finished sixth, but boy, took on a heck of a lot harder company that he's going to face here this afternoon and maybe at seven or eight to one has a big chance. Or... Did all the horses exit this race and regress 10 to 15 points? That's aggressive. They usually don't go that. There are times, though, put it this way, when horses can come out of races and they will all regress. And if that's the case, then I look at that as an opportunity to say this horse, chances are, against this field, going to get over bet based on the fig that they earned in that most recent run. And that most recent run has not come back strong. So there are so many different pieces to the handicapping puzzle. And some people didn't make a difference to them. Just give me the fastest last out race and we'll go from there. To each their own. I hope that helped a little bit, Nancy. Thank you for the question. Thank you for the comment. Thank you for listening and watching. Otherwise, I I think that's going to button things up here. And again, please continue on with the questions, the comments, whatever it may be beneath the video player on YouTube or to me on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. I am all ears. And I like this this aspect of it, and I wish I had done it more with the first iteration of the show. I, I like that this is a thing, and I'm hopeful that it continues, but it'll only continue if I can get that kind of feedback and that sort of uh, back and forth between the listeners, viewers, and myself, too. So uh, thank you all for doing so. If you watch on YouTube, thank you. Please rate, review, and subscribe, whether it's on YouTube, uh, whether it's over on In The Money Uh, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to this thing. Again, it's real simple. Rate, review, subscribe. A thumbs up on YouTube goes a long way. Make sure the bell icon is lit up. And and any reviews and, and sort of positive ratings are always greatly appreciated. And if there's anything specific you'd like to hear more of, less of, whatever it may be, please let me know. Again, you know where to find me, at Bernie or underscore Matt or on the YouTube channel. So, Thank you again for listening and watching. This has been episode four of the Matt Bernier Show. I am off to Los Angeles on Wednesday. I will be on the morning line on TVG Thursday, Friday, and Sunday, and I will be on Trackside Live. Maybe we take it out of the morning line, I don't know, on Saturday from, I believe, noon to 3 or 3.30. These are obviously West Coast times, so... Factor that in wherever you're listening or watching if you're on the East Coast or the West Coast. So uh, I will be out with TVG for the upcoming week, leaving on Wednesday. But I'll be back here next Monday for Episode 5 of the Matt Bernier Show. Until then, best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play.